Open your cerebral cortex and shift your lobes into upper beta phase because you are going to have Bitcoin knowledge transmitted directly into your vestibulocochlear. Your host of Bitcoin Knowledge is Trace Mayer, an early Bitcoin advocate since it cost a quarter, but this is not intended to be investment advice. A doctor of jurisprudence, but this is definitely not legal advice. And an investor in core cryptocurrency infrastructure, including Armory, BitPay, Kraken, and Mitagio, but this is not a recommendation of those services. Here, you get fed via direct mind download with pure and free Bitcoin knowledge. Okay, welcome back to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast. We have a tremendous interview with you today. This is Adam Ludwin. He's CEO of Chain.com. They recently raised $9 million in a Series A. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so a lot of people talk about Bitcoin as a protocol. What exactly does that mean? What it means is that for the first time ever, the internet itself has a way of moving money around. We've never had that before, and that's a really big deal. We've had ways of moving messages around. If you think about email, the protocol there is called SMTP. That's the protocol which facilitates all of the rules for sending emails around. Now, what do you mean by rules? Like, we're talking about computers have these actual rules, like if A and C, then B, yes. or something, right? So think about, for example, when you write an email, you write it to someone. It's from someone. There's a notion of an at symbol. There's a notion of email addresses. There's a notion of a subject. The actual email has a header. All of these definitions are part of the overall protocol. And, and protocols are like standards or rules exactly. that these computers are all going to follow. That's right. So the network knows this is an email sending over TCP IP. I know what to do with it. And I know where it's trying to go. And TCP IP, that's another protocol. That's the layer below, which is the internet's protocol. So just a quick history lesson. Before the internet, we had computer networks that weren't connected to one another. We had a network at your school, a network at your office, a network at a government office, at a university, but those networks didn't talk to one another. TCP IP was the protocol which linked up all of these networks into the internet. And so TCP IP is that sort of base protocol. And on top of that, you've got SMTP for email, HTTP for documents, what we now know as the web. You have SIP for voice over IP. So there's a protocol that enables us to do things like use Skype or use Google Voice. And just to specify on that, that's what people are talking about when they say like the internet stack. We've got this stack of protocols, and so you got TCP IP, and then next on top of that you have HTTP, Correct. and then on top of that you might have your WordPress blog yes. on your server, yes. and your server might be running a stack like yes. Apache and Linux and, and eventually uh, MySQL. It all, just, it all comes back to sharing animated GIFs of cats. You know, <laughs> cat, we gotta have cat colon gr slash grum slash. Grumpy cat, yes. <laughs> like happy cat. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back to the service of cat gifts. So, yeah, so we have these suite of protocols. And remember, like, until Bitcoin, these protocols could facilitate communication and could facilitate storage and file sharing. But we didn't have a way of solving this really fundamental problem, which was if I send you a photo of a cat, nothing stops you from taking that photo and sending it along to five more people or making a thousand copies of that photo of that cat on your computer. We've tried with stuff like DRM, yes. tried to enforce scarcity, quote unquote, right. how do you with take, these digital assets, but you at take, the end of the day, it's very easy to just copy the ones and zeros, that's right? right? How do you take a digital thing and make sure that only you have it 
and only you can spend it, or in the case of any a or digital, send it or send use it, it or, use or whatever. It. That was the problem. That was the thing that no one could figure out. And the thing that Bitcoin solved, and Bitcoin, by the way, took a lot of other ideas that have been worked on for years, actually. Decades. Yeah, decades. Yeah, decades, absolutely. <laughs> and it sort of was the capstone, but it was a turning point because Satoshi put everything together. And what you ended up with was the first protocol for transferring value or valuable things over the internet. And so why does that matter? Conceptually, it matters because we know internet protocols do two things. They dramatically reduce costs and they create huge untapped markets. Those are the two forces. Every voice over IP, dramatically reduced costs, opens up huge new markets. You're talking to your family for free on Skype, and then it opens up entire new markets because distributed teams can now communicate much more effectively, or who knows how many other tons of applications have resulted from Skype alone. Absolutely. So the same is true with Bitcoin. It's going to dramatically reduce the cost of all financial services. And it's going to do something which I'm really passionate about, which is things that you could never do before with financial products because they didn't work native to the internet are now going to be possible. And so will this all happen by next Tuesday? Absolutely not. Will it happen over the course of our lifetimes? Yes, it absolutely yeah. will. What you're getting to is this concept of distributed consensus. Right. What exactly do we mean when we say we have distributed consensus or we have this programmable money or programmable trust? Like, what are we really getting at? It and how big of a deal is that? Like, why is it such a big deal? Distributed consensus, if you just break the two words apart, simply means that the volunteer network of computers which participate and create the Bitcoin network agree on, and that's where the consensus comes in, these computers agree that this Bitcoin is yours and this other Bitcoin is mine. Or this Bitcoin is associated with this particular public key. Correct. That's a good difference. Because the Bitcoin network isn't administering the legal property rights. Correct. It doesn't know your identity, but it knows that this address has the exclusive right to transfer those coins to someone else. That is mathematically linked yes. with the private key in order to make that transfer. That's correct. And so it uses public-private key cryptography. And so, again, distributed consensus means that not a single computer says, okay, Adam's Bitcoin belongs to Adam. That's actually an easy problem to solve. Like any freshman in computer science could write a financial database that moves money from one entry to the other. That's not a hard problem. What's hard is to get computers that are disconnected from one another, that have no incentive to cooperate, that actually have an incentive to steal if <laughs> to they can, steal from each to agree that actually this money is Adam's and it's not yours, or it's this public address's money and it's not yours. Which and that's is... a big, big deal. Distributed consensus has a long history in computer science. It's not a Bitcoin-specific problem area. There's a technology called Paxos, which works on distributed consensus for other areas of computer science. But applied to value transfer, Bitcoin is really the first to get any adoption and to be battle tested and sort of to date over five years proven to be viable. That's this Byzantine general's problem. That's the problem of distributed consensus. Distributed consensus. So how does Chain.com play into all of this? Like why in the world did these VCs give you $9 million? <laughs> right. Chain.com does one thing. We make it really easy to build with Bitcoin. So what do you mean build with Bitcoin? I'll tell you. So everything we just described, we were talking at the level of the blockchain, which is the distributed consensus framework through which Bitcoin works. 
And so you've got this big open decentralized financial database out there. That's like 20 gigabytes right now. It's 20 gigabytes compressed. As soon as you want to do anything with it, you have to do something called indexing it. The same thing Google does when they go and oh, index yeah. the whole web. Oh, and yeah. guess what? Once you index it, it's about half a terabyte. So you've got to take half a terabyte of data and put that in memory to write your application. And that's a big data problem. And it keeps getting bigger. And it keeps getting bigger. <laughs> Every We're 10 minutes. Very early innings. So what you're going to end up with is terabytes of data that have to be managed. And not only managed, but have to be highly available with very low latency security and with compliance with all the sort of rules and regulations that are emerging around Bitcoin. That's all table stakes just to write your first line of code for your Bitcoin application. So what we found, the reason we started Chain was as Bitcoin developers ourselves, we found we were writing the same thing over and over and over again. We were writing all these hooks into the blockchain. And we realized... What do you mean by a hook? Like, what's a hook? A hook is... For example, what's the balance of an address? Oh, so like I go to blockchain.info and I put in an address and hit search and bam, I got you one the, Bitcoin in this address. That's right. So it turns out blockchain.info, as with every other Bitcoin company, has to do what I just described. Blockchain.info doesn't just say, hey, Bitcoin network, what's the address? Blockchain.info has to write a huge amount of code to get you that number. And they're actually going to give you that number from their own database. And so what we did is we said, so okay. So you're trusting them. You, you are. In fact, anytime you use a Bitcoin service, it's something that's not really well understood today. You're not interfacing directly with the blockchain in real time. You're typically interfacing with an index view of the blockchain. And you're doing that because the priority for the software is for that it works it's quickly. Speed. It's speed. speed. Yeah, well, because so, Armory, we actually have the entire uh, blockchain and... And Armory goes and indexes it. But that's one of the reasons it's not very user-friendly. Right, exactly. You know, to build stuff that's fast, like blockchain.info. Yes. Chain simply provides this as a service. So we provide this indexed, managed blockchain data to developers as a service. And so we have over 1,500 organizations that are building Bitcoin applications using Chain's API. One other way to say it is if you're familiar with Stripe or Twilio, for example, they've taken complicated infrastructure in a particular domain and simplified it and put an API in front and said it's a web service. Just ask us and we'll give you the answer. So that's what we do for the Bitcoin domain. You know, I thought it was interesting. Here at the Money 2020, there was a hackathon. Yes. And there were 450 developers. About 50% of them built Bitcoin stuff. 70% of those use the blockchain API. 30% use the chain API. And two out of the 450 developers built something on the MasterCard API. <laughs> right. Chain is really helping with this fifth network effect that Bitcoin's got out of seven that I've identified hmm. of getting the developer mindshare, right? 1,500 people building stuff on Bitcoin. How many people do you think are building stuff on MasterCard's API? Yeah. Because, I mean, you can't really just innovate without permission on there. Correct. So, Correct. Developers love Bitcoin. Because you can actually this build something. This is technology first financial services. So if you're a developer and you've been building software and you're used to building with internet protocols, with libraries and APIs to build innovative new services, of course you're going to use Bitcoin. It's native to the internet. It's native to building mobile apps, to building websites. So we find that 
developers have never really been in the financial services world before. A well, because there's not much innovation there's not much going innovation. on. There's not much opportunity. Yeah. With Bitcoin, developers have flocked to the market and are building really innovative things. So what are some more of these It's hooks? an exciting opportunity, oh, by yeah. the way, for the, the big financial services companies. A lot of innovation potential. A, a huge amount of innovation potential. You know, at Money 2020, when I talk to the MasterCards of the world and the first datas of the world. I don't take an adversarial approach. I don't say, oh, well, you know, Bitcoin's coming, it's going to take you out of the market. That, to me, is not productive. I think a much more interesting conversation is to say, okay, you've got this really interesting brand, you've got a platform with customers, and you have a strategy. What might you do if you combine that with the power of the Internet's <laughs> protocol for money? What possibilities could you enable that could have never been done before? And that is a conversation these companies want to have. And I think more Bitcoin companies should sit down with the big financial services companies and talk to them because you know what they're very receptive to building and to learning but of course like anyone they're gonna react negatively to a threat and, and yeah threats. i mean if you, yeah. you come in and say hey we're gonna eat your lunch yeah. like well we're not gonna help you Absolutely. <laughs> now you mentioned one of these potential hooks is getting an address's balance what are some other examples of hooks, like things that Chain.com makes really easy and useful for developers? So we let you put data into the blockchain. There's a something called the op return, which allows you to literally, you could type a sentence, put it in the blockchain, and for eternity, you could prove that at a certain time, at a certain place, you said certain things. Uh, so it's kind of like a poor man's patent, if you will. Or a way to keep the memory hole from swallowing That's information. Right. We actually had someone propose to their girlfriend <laughs> the chain API. Uh, was she able to read blockchain. it? I don't know if she was tech savvy enough to read it. I think he might have just been prototyping the idea of proposing. Um, oh, that's funny. But we basically provide the whole suite of functionality you need to build a transaction and propagate it to the network. So that includes getting an address, that includes getting details of a transaction, how many confirmations it has, getting all the unspent outputs, data on blocks, and then creating transactions, propagating them. And we also help to settle transactions more quickly then you would normally have to wait 10 minutes, for example, on average. We give people confidence numbers. So we say, okay, look, this transaction went out to the network. We have a, a super node that chain runs that watches the network and sees where the transaction goes. And we can tell the developer, hey, it's only been 10 seconds, but your transaction has propagated to 99.5% of the network. So you're probably good to go. So we do things that are sort of above and beyond what is available just sort of out of the box with Bitcoin D. And I think that's really attracted developers. And we've created notifications. And again, I won't pitch my book, but... No, um, I mean, like, I mean, looking at things yeah. that are very interesting and useful for the developers, like, why come and build on Bitcoin instead of going and building on MasterCard API or Visa API or PayPal fundamentally, API? Like, why come and build here on Bitcoin? Fundamentally, if you go build with the MasterCard API, the range of things you could build is known. It's in a very narrow band of accepting credit card payments. And yes, you can do recurring payments and you could do interesting things with chargebacks, et cetera. But it's known. It's like a known universe of you know five or six things around credit card payments. When you have a new protocol, as is the case with Bitcoin, the sky is truly the limit. What developers are doing on our platform, there are literally dozens of different innovations that we see every single month that people say, hey, I want to try this that we've never thought of before. And so that's what's exciting to us, and that's what's exciting to developers. Yes, there's a lot of repeat sort of patterns we're seeing. A lot of people are working on bringing financial services to the developing world. A lot of people are working on smart contracts and 
moving deeds and titles around with colored coins. A lot of people are working on Bitcoin wallets, ATMs, exchanges, remittance services, point of sale, the sort of bread and butter of what we see in the market today. But we are in a period of rapid innovation and flourishing innovation. A lot of people will list the problems with Bitcoin. If you just go Google Bitcoin, you're going to see, oh, Bitcoin doesn't do this, or it can't do that, or it has this issue. Every single one of those issues, every single one of those complaints is a company that's being born now, a company that's going in and solving it. Not all those companies will make it. Some of those things will get solved at the level of the protocol by the core Bitcoin developers. However, many of the things are being solved by companies. One of our companies that's built on chain, for example, is called LibraTax. And they'll give you all your tax accounting at the end of the year that's mapped to the IRS's guidance on Bitcoin as property. And so a lot of people said, oh, Bitcoin's dead. Okay, just plug in LibraTax and now the problem is solved. So we're seeing a lot of those companies get formed too. In five years from now, the people that were complaining that there were problems are going to see huge definitive companies that solved those problems that now have a massive amount of value. And so we're excited to enable those types of things to happen. To kind of get off on a tangent, Blockstream just raised $15 million yes. for the uh, for this sidechain project. We're big fans. I know Adam Back personally. I know Austin Hill personally. I really like the work they're doing. You're big fans of this Blockstream, yes. this sidechains idea. Why do you think this is a big deal? The theme of this conversation has basically become innovation around a new protocol. And Blockstream is uh, a multiplier effect on that innovation. Why? Because with Blockstream, you can use the network effect of Bitcoin, the mining, the adoption, the sort of familiarity, and experiment with new offerings on different blockchains. It's early days. It's just out of sort of the research phase. But the potential to move money into a totally different blockchain that enables, for example, a smart contract, enables, for example, a really clean implementation of colored coins, enables a really great implementation of, you know, a different approach to, like, remittances, for example. Or more um, flexible scripting. More flexible scripting, That could be potentially more dangerous. Times. All of the ideas that have emerged around digital currency to date have basically said, okay, well, we need to create a new currency to try this. Right. Blockstream says, no, we don't need to create a new currency. We have a currency. We have a system that works. We have a protocol. We can create a sandbox to experiment with these new ideas without breaking sort of the core. And if it turns out that it's a good idea and it works, then we can just merge in or we can sort of create the gateways back and forth. And the reason we call the company chain.com and not like bit something or coin something is because we really believe in the value of the innovation at that level. I'm also a fan of what Ethereum is trying to do. It's a different approach, but it's a worthwhile approach. And, yeah, so so when, yeah. you, when you say like at that level, at the chain level, yeah. you're really hitting on this principle of interoperability, yes. right? Like, can you help explain what this interoperability is? Like maybe give some analogies with our current protocols and how this interoperability would be applied with these sidechains. Sure. So the thing to Google, if you're at your computer right now and you want to like get into the technical details of it, is called a two-way peg. And that's the innovation that connects blockchains together in the sidechains approach. Yeah, and it's actually on Blockstream's site in their white paper. Yes, there's they a white explain paper. all of the math behind these two-way pegs. Absolutely. The reason the internet works is because of standards. And so you have interoperability. So you can click on a link on a website that's an email address, and it pops open an email client. Your hardware device yes. is even running on particular standards so that you can actually run the web browser to click Correct. on the link, Correct. right? So interoperability, reverse compatibility, and extensibility are all like watchwords of sort of 
software development. And it's no surprise they're being applied to Bitcoin. The reason it's such a big deal is it comes back to sort of what we talked about earlier, which is distributed consensus is a very complicated thing to pull off. And innovating around that model without sacrificing the security that was gained when the sort of original blockchain was conceived is a very big computer science problem and challenge. And so it's an achievement, and you should be celebrating the achievement of what guys like Blockstream and Ethereum are doing, because they are helping us understand if we can extend the security model of the blockchain to other areas of value transfer and other areas of contracting. And if we can, then the long-term potential for the world is huge. 30% of the sort of financial services industry goes to transaction costs, lawyers, contracts, legal disputes, escrow, etc. The stuff that we're talking about now has the potential to reduce that basically to zero. And it won't happen overnight again. This is a long-term project. But this is the way the world should work. We live in a global world. We live in a connected world. These things should be part of that framework and not something that grew up in a world of sort of analog nation states. Well, there we have it. We're just about out of time. Thanks so much. We've had a great interview on digging into the nuts and bolts of Bitcoin with Adam Ludwin, CEO of Chain.com. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. It was really my pleasure to be here. Get a copy of the free Bitcoin guide at freebitcoinguide.com. Got a question or suggestion? Record your voice at bitcoin.kn. Don't be shy. To help the show, share bitcoin.kn with friends, post about it on Reddit, and otherwise spam the interwebs. iTunes comments and five-star reviews are very important to us. Please continue tuning in to the Bitcoin Knowledge Podcast, where we release interviews with the top people in the Bitcoin world. Now take some choline and let that Bitcoin knowledge consolidate.